Take your Bible, so if you would, to Acts chapter 15. We will be there in a few moments. We are in a series in Acts and working our way through this book. We have studied Paul's first missionary journey sent out of Antioch and have gone through the regions of Galatia and then returned back for a report and is now in Antioch. This morning's message will be probably more of a Bible study than we might normally have. I'm going to read quite a few different texts. Uh, and so in style, it may be a bit different today. So I just need you ready with your Bibles and turn to a number of different places. Since the beginning of the Christian faith, there have been seven significant and noteworthy church councils. This would be the assemblies of prominent church leaders and elders to determine and or decide a critical matter of doctrine as it relates to the church. In 325, there was the Council of Nicaea, and in 451, there was the Council of Chalcedon. And these would have been very significant um, councils that really determined some significant doctrinal matters. Uh, however, the first council of Jerusalem, which is described for us in Acts chapter 15, was by, first the, by far most the first and most prominent, and it was most important. At this council, the question was settled, what must a man do to be saved? Now, what led to the answering of that question is very interesting, at least to me. And I'm going to begin by explaining it by looking at a discussion from the book of Galatians. And I don't want you to turn there. I, I just want you to listen. And I, I'm going to read a number of verses there that help articulate what's happening in Acts 15. Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians or to the churches in that area that he had gone to in his first missionary journey and then he had traveled back on his way out to Antioch. And while he was there, he of course taught that people were saved by grace through faith and that was the means of salvation. But what prompted his writings was a doctrinal issue that had arisen in the churches before. It was something that Paul had faced before about 14, 15 years earlier. And that issue was settled historically in Acts 15. So the book of Galatians was been written uh, after this and 15 years before the events of Acts 15. Some false prophets, some misguided Judaizers who were doctrinally aberrant, they had infiltrated the, ch infiltrated the church of Galatia and had propagated a teaching. And the teaching was that... Um, you had to follow the law of Moses, which would include being circumcised and then all the law. You had to do that to be fully a Christian. Uh, more specifically, unless you did that, you could not be saved. And so, yes, you were introduced to Christ and he's the Messiah. But unless you became part of the family of God, of the seed of Abraham, which required circumcision in their mind and following the laws, well, then a man could not be saved. And this was taught in Antioch once upon a time. Now, again, this teaching came from Jerusalem, and that was the, really the seat of authority at that time, and that created quite a bit of confusion. And, and so the Gentile believers in Galatia, when it came to them, they really were confused by this. And so when Paul heard this teaching was happening in Galatia, he began to write the book of Galatians. And so the book of Galatians is addressing that heresy that a man must be circumcised and the man must follow the law of God in order to be saved. And so with 
some emphatic nature to him, almost righteous indignation, because I want you to hear that in his tone. Paul writes to these Galatians who in some degree have heard this false teaching and began to practice it. They felt this need to practice the law once again. And Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh or by fulfilling the law? Know you therefore that they which are of faith are the same of Abraham's seed. But thou, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. In fact, we couldn't live up to it, being made a curse for us on the cross. For ye are all the children of God, not by the means that these men are describing, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now there is neither Jew nor Greek, and if you be in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed according to the promised. So he says to them, so stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, that is, his work on the cross, and be not entangled again with that yoke of bondage, law-keeping. Behold, I, Paul, saying to you, that if you be circumcised, if you start depending upon the law to find approval with God, is my interjection there, he said, if, if you do that, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now look up here. The minute you insert any necessity but the blood of Christ, you have crossed the line in terms of salvation. You, you've gone too far. And, and you've made something of salvation that it was never intended to be. Paul says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, this indwelling work of God, which we're saved. You did run well. In other words, you received this truth of grace. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? And this persuasion, this teaching of needing something other than the grace of God to be saved, cometh not of him that calleth you. Okay, if I just stop there, is this subject not entirely clear to you? Like we are saved by grace through faith, nothing else, nothing else. And then though Paul, having said that, much as he does in Romans chapter 6, to Romans, he pivots now. And so he's saying, you are saved by grace, nothing else, there's no law required. Matter of fact, the law just spotlighted the fact that you were a sinner and had no power to save. And so these people are asking, well, then that's the truth. I can live any way I want to. And Paul's like, no, 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 God forbid. And that should have been discussed in your classes in the last week or two. But Paul pivots and he says, now, brethren, after this truth, you have been called to liberty, but only use not the liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but in love serve one another. Now, so Paul makes this argument, the law cannot, cannot save you, it will not. And then he says, but while you live in liberty and the truth of grace, you still have some responsibility to other people. So in Galatians 2, Paul goes back, and I'm doing this reason because it takes us closer to Acts 15. Paul mentions an event. Now, remember, he's speaking to the Galatians 15 years after Acts 15. And he's saying, I want you to remember, or, or I want to rehearse to you a time when I already addressed this issue. 
And, and, and so in Galatians 2, he tells a story. There was a day when I went to Jerusalem to address the same issue that I'm talking to you now in this letter. And he says, for the same reasons that have happened here. Some men have come, some troubling Jews, to tell you that you had to, circum to be circumcised and follow these laws. And so I went from Antioch, where they were teaching this, and I went to Jerusalem to confront this issue. He says, this issue is so bad and prevalent in the church that even Peter and Barnabas was pulled aside and they stopped fellowshipping with some of the saved Gentiles. And I had to rebuke them to their face and, and they got it squared away. Paul said, I rebuked them. But I went to Jerusalem and I addressed this issue at the church council, um, what we call the first church council in the book in, in Jerusalem. So we're going to read that church council now. So if you'd stand with me, you know, it's a quite the introduction, but I want you to get the context and how these books are connected. And so, Paul having rebuked Barnabas, Peter, uh, this, the same heresy that came to Galatians, you know, has come to Antioch. And so this is the story, his correction of this, or of God's correction of this. And certain men, which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, and this is kind of a caveat, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria declaring that uh, the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And then back to the story, verse 4. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And they declared all things that God had done with them on this first missionary journey to Galatia and then back home. But while they were talking about God's grace to the, to the Gentiles, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed... Okay, so these are saved Jewish men who had once been Pharisees, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Okay, remember the story of Cornelius. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. Both heard the gospel, both received the Holy Spirit, Peter saying there's no difference. That's all needs to be done. Verse 10, now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? They couldn't keep the law and we can't keep the law. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence. Kind of hard to argue with that is the point. And gave audience to Barnabas and Paul. And they declared what miracles and wonders God had wrought among them and the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, and by the way, James is now 
uh, the pastor, most likely the church of Jerusalem. This is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, a reference to Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. In other words, they're part of the family of God, another part of Abraham's seed. And to this agree the words of the prophets. And he's getting ready to refer reference the book of Amos. As it is written, after this I'll return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. That the residue of men, and this means not just Jews, but all men, including Greeks, Gentiles, and of all the Gentiles upon whom the name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And so now James, you know, as the pastor kind of stands up and makes an executive decision based on this um, counsel. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them with uh, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. That's a unique set of things to ask them not to do. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Okay, look up here for a second. This is really important. Why not do those four things? Because those four things will offend the Jews in your cities. And that's a really important connection to make. Not doing those four things doesn't gain God's approval. They're not, they're, they're not commandments. Just not doing those things don't offend the Jews who are in your city. Do you have that? That's why it's given. There's Jews and you're going to be in their synagogue. And so don't do that. Then please the elders, verse 22, and the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch, where this was stirred up, as in Galatia later, with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Bersabbas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, uh, the apostle, the elders, and the, and the brethren send greetings uh, unto the brethren which are in the, uh, of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicily. Forasmuch as we have heard, now this is the, the letter to the church in Antioch, that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we give no such commandment. We didn't send them. These guys were operating out of our authority. It seemed good to us, unto us, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you, the people of Antioch, with our beloved uh, Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent them, therefore, Judas and Silas, these are witnesses, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. And then he's going to rehearse what was decided. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, which if you keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare you well. So forget the whole thing about being circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced, for the consolation. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God. And Lord, I pray as we, we look at this sort of complex issue 
Uh, the Lord that spanned a 15-year period that Paul faced at least twice here. Lord, in the Bible, it's an important issue. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to find application for our lives as well. And I ask for your help in communicating this truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being patient with that. To summarize, a group of men who had previously been Pharisees and Sadducees, and we know what that ilk was like. They came to understand that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah. They acknowledged that. And these men trusted in Jesus as the Messiah, and they had a saving faith. They became saved. But by the burgeoning number of Gentiles that were being saved, you've got to understand this is a brand new thing. The, the people of God had belonged to God, and, 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 and they were a very uh, limited group. And all of a sudden, all these Gentiles with different practices and, and different ways of behaving and different rules and different standards, they get saved, and they're being added to the church. And these former Pharisees, now saved, felt threatened by the fact that so many people weren't keeping the rules. And they were bothered by this. And, and that would make some sense. And so they felt it wrong that they could be included in the family of God based on grace alone. Um, they didn't feel like that was sufficient to make them of Abraham's seed. And so there's two different groups of men here, uh, of these false teachers, if you will, these men who held this position. The first group were those, if you look with me in verse 1, who felt like that you absolutely could not be saved unless you were circumcised. And by the way, when I say that, I'm not just talking about the act, but when we say circumcision, that really implies keeping the whole law, and that is also articulated in that verse, I, I believe. So this was heresy, absolute heresy. You can't be saved unless you keep the law of Moses. The second group referenced in verse 5 of our text, these former Pharisees said this, well, it's needful. It's needful that you keep the law of Moses. In other words, you, you should. It's important. Um, yes, we can be saved by, uh, through grace, through faith. But really, it's, it's, you're, ob you're obligated after salvation to keep the law. And, and that was their spill on this. Now, that's not heresy. That's just ignorant. That's not understanding. And so the council gathered here to address these issues or those two claims. And in verse 6, we see that all these men considered this matter. And in verse 7, they disputed and they, they argued as people can do. And then Peter, probably having enough, rises up and begins to put an end to all this erroneous thinking and teaching. And he says, okay, hey, men, listen. Do you remember, back in Acts 10 and 11, do you remember that God spoke to me in a vision and dream and he told me no longer were, were, were a man unclean. And, he, and he's referencing the, really the dream there of Cornelius. And he said, God told me, now God did this, he initiated this. He told me to go speak to the Gentiles so they could be saved. Now men didn't initiate this, God did. And a verifying sign is this, not only they received the gospel, but the Holy Ghost fell upon them as it did us. And guys, you can't get more saved than that. If you believe that God saves and we're saved by grace through faith and the Holy Spirit's upon them is this evident sign in these days, then if you press further, you are tempting God. He's suggesting this, that if you add to the law, to the requirements of salvation, you are inviting God's judgment. 
If you press this this far, you are inviting God's judgment. In verse 9, he says, there is no difference between them and us. We were saved the same way. We received the Holy Ghost the same way. In verse 10, stop tempting God. And in verse 11, then Paul and Barnabas stand after Peter's kind of irrefutable testimony. And they say, let me tell you. And they start telling all, the, all these people who were saved in, in Galatia and in Cyprus before that. And, 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 we, and I, there were miracles and wonders done to testify of this. And then in verse 13, finally James stands up, most likely now the pastor of the church, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he's now in the book of Acts becomes the leader there. And he says, uh, not only do these two pieces of testimony affirm this, but you remember the book of Amos. It's, it's, it's sort of about the temple being destroyed and rebuilt. But then when God makes a people for himself, he includes all people. So this is Old Testament prophecy. God said this is going to happen and we're watching it happen in our generation. And so James makes this executive decision and says, so my sentence is, I've never spoke that way here, but it's interesting. So he said, it's settled. And he kind of looks around and everybody goes, okay, okay, so it's settled. And so in verse 19 and 20, look there with me. But did you write unto them, and this is what was settled, that they abstain from the pollution of idols? I'm sorry, verse 19, where my sentence is that they troubled them, troubled them, troubled not them from the Gentiles, which are turned to God. Which don't lay the burden of the law upon them or circumcision. But they keep these four uh, rules that we go to. And that's an interesting word, don't burden them with law keeping. And he says, we couldn't keep it for salvation and neither can, can they. But we are going to ask them, okay, look up here, to be courteous and conscientious of others' ways of practicing Christian faith. Okay. Because in these cities with these Gentiles in Antioch, Galatia, there's Jews there. And if we do these things, it's going to offend them. And we may never win them to Christ. Now, these aren't rules to keep um, because they earn some favor or merit. These are rules to keep because you're just being thoughtful. That's just good Christianity motivated by love. In other words, love should be the law that you keep. So let me say it this way. Here's what was decided. Jewish Christians shouldn't burden and offend Gentile Christians by insisting they keep some rule or law. And conversely, Gentile Christians shouldn't burden and offend Jewish Christians by flaunting their liberty and their freedoms. It's a pretty happy place to live, isn't it? Love should cause both to defer. <laughs> there could be more amens. So there's some obvious application here for us. Verse 11, look there with me. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they are. The means of salvation is by grace through faith alone. And that's point number one. I know that. Yeah, but I want you to, to do some work here and listen hard. We are saved by grace 
through faith, nothing subtracted, nothing added, period. At the core and root of Acts 15, and really the, all the New Testament, is that God, in an extraordinary act of grace, provided all we needed to experience the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, and a home in heaven for eternity. And He provides all of that, not through anything that we do, but through the merit and the work of Jesus Christ alone. As the Bible says, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by and through his mercy, he saved us. All of our righteousness, our works is as filthy rags before the Lord said Isaiah. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any one of us should boast and or depend upon, lean upon our good works, because that merit will not gain you any favor with God. The gospel is that simple truth, that the merits of Christ can be ours. That grace comes to us when we believe through faith and nothing else. Believing that Jesus was God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he experienced our hell, but rising again, he extends his goodness and grace to us as a grace, as a goodness, as a kindness, as a mercy. It is something that we did nothing to merit. He just says it's here because of what Christ did there. Nothing else is required. Y'all got that? Nothing else. Grace is so hard for the human heart to receive. Paul, boy, he, he, he articulated this um, all the way through the book of Romans. It's so hard for the human heart to receive. But no matter how many times it's rehearsed, people say, yeah, but. Now, not theologically, we agree with that. But, you know, it's helpful if we do this. It's good if you do this. It's in our nature to want to merit God's favor, to deserve it. <laughs> But you can't. You can't. You have a totally misguided understanding of how utterly sinful you are. God's love, mercy, and goodness, it's not like ours. It's bigger. It's unconditional. It is amazing. It is incredible. And it is humbling. And it's something that we have to learn to rest in, to have security in. Now, I need, for those of you who know me, you need to hear the heart of what, I, what I'm saying. There is no such thing as a good Christian. There's no such thing as a bad Christian. There are sinners saved by grace through the merits of Christ alone. And man, if you don't understand that, if you start looking down your long nose at other people who don't, you know, dress your way or do your thing or whatever else, but they claim Christ, you are utterly theologically confused. And this is troubling because so many people get saved. And I see this in this church and probably every theologically conservative church in the world. The kids get saved early and they grow up and they feel like well, they've not lived up to the merits of Christ and so I got to get re-saved and re-baptized. Anybody ever seen that? It's not that it's bad, it's just wrong-headed. 
Either you accept Christ as Savior or you don't. Now, there's a whole other sermon about how you should live afterwards. And, that's, and I, I can't do all that. I can, but you don't want me to. <laughs> God doesn't accept or reject you based on any performance that you offer. He accepts you on the basis of His Son's blood and that sacrifice. We have been crucified with Christ. We are part of His family. If you could let that seek in, you would have a bigger smile on your face today. And we'd be a happier church. You would change your life. You might be free for the first time in your whole life. Performance-based, conviction, standard-oriented, law-keeping, rule-defining Christianity is a burden. So says the text. It's psychologically, spiritually, emotionally draining and abusive. It causes us to doubt. It causes us to judge. It causes us to be critical. It, it causes us to be confused. Hey, let that go and just let the gospel be true. You are saved by grace through faith. But, but they're not proving it by the way they live. Why don't you leave that to God? And why is it so important to you? Let it go. Love, gratitude, honor. Those are the guiding principles of the Christian. Let your heart be overwhelmed by grace and serve out of that. Rest in the truth. Let the burden go. And to the point of the text, <clears throat> let me add this. And I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound disparaging, and I don't mean for it to be. I'm just trying to identify with the text. If you are and you feel the need to be a Pharisaical Jewish Christian, someone who feels safer in the boundaries of rules and standards and all that, you have the liberty to be that way. They didn't try to change these men. They just said, don't impose it on the, the Gentile Christians. You are free to be that way. But look up here. But be very very careful that you don't confuse what gains approval in the sight of God. If that makes you feel safer, then you do it. But don't get confused that you're pleasing God more than the guy over here who doesn't keep your personal set of standards and rules. Because that's wrong-headed and almost close to heresy. And don't impose that set of standards and rules on anybody else. Don't burden people with something that God never intended them to be burdened with. Take your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And I'll really wrap this up quickly. But that's not a promise. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. This is what Jesus did for us. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. 
So here's what he says. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or the Sabbath days. All these rituals of the Old Testament, the law, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility or worshiping of angels, intruding those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from, from which all the body joints and bands, having nursed, ministered, and knit together, increased with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of this world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to its ordinances? Don't touch that. Don't taste that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and the doctrines of men. Which, in, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting the body and, and not in honoring the satisfying the flesh. God's saying, if you're free, be free. And don't let people come tell you these 50 things you have to do to please God. That's what the Bible says. Okay, did I beat up one group of the church enough? Okay, is that hard to hear? Of course it's hard to hear. Because what, I, what I'm not preaching is this, this idea that you're supposed to be holy as Christ is holy. This whole incentive of a way to live based on love. I don't have, we're not going to go there. But I will say this. But for those who understand and recognize your liberty in Christ, realize you have boundaries marked by the love and honor of God. You may not and now this is tough. You may not have to obey a rule, but on a higher level, you have to honor its spirit and intent. It's easier to keep a rule than the intent. See, this is the difference between going two miles and one. This is the difference between turning the other, che the other cheek when someone strikes you, because that's the spirit of what God wants you to do. See, the Pharisees, they didn't commit adultery, but they thought about it. And Jesus says, no, 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 that wasn't my intent. D don't even look that direction if that's a problem for you is what he says. It's a higher standard. Keep the intent of the law. That was the whole point of Jesus from on the Mount. We are not to be burdened by the law, but we have to understand the love that put it in place. I mean, there's these rules about putting fences on the rooftop of the houses. You know, so we're not going to go around doing that. What was the point? Well, when people come to your home, keep them safe. That's the idea. There's a spirit behind every law. And it's all distilled into these two things. Love God and love people. Jesus himself said that. And this is what he's trying to talk about. Obedience is a function of the heart. That's what should drive it. Love for Christ. It's the difference between uh, uh, just doing what I have to and doing what you could do empowered by grace. Liberty does not free you from truth and certainly not from the consequences of violating it. Liberty is a license. It's freedom within the boundaries of God's heart to do what's right for yourself and others. That's why James included this fourfold list. He said this is really an odd list. Okay, we sort of get... Uh, don't commit fornication or adultery. But you have to understand in the context, these people, that was their culture. It was almost second nature to them. 
And then he says, don't do these things that would, that would um, offend the Jews. It's not that you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols that Paul would later argue. He says, but if it's going to offend them, you shouldn't. So here's what he's saying. Don't do those things that are culturally offensive to others. Don't do those things that causes somebody else, he says, very strongly, to stumble. Okay, but that's too ambiguous for me. Okay, welcome to Christianity. I want to go to a place where they tell me what to wear and they tell me what to do and they tell me what I can watch and not watch. Look, you've come to the wrong church. If you haven't learned that in the 20 years I've been here, I don't want to say to you. How about a higher standard? Obey the heart and spirit of what God says to us. Figure it out. He said, be male and female. Okay, work at that. Some real common sense there, if you think about it. So here's what he's saying. Don't become evangelist for your liberty. Man, I was set free from all the burden of that legalistic stuff. And now I can do all this stuff. Okay, first of all, your heart is totally wrong right now. How about this? If God sets you free in an area, good for you. Keep it to yourself. You're not an evangelist for liberty. Just preach the gospel. Well, I don't have to wear that anymore. No, you don't have to. But maybe when you come here, be smart. Because there's people that's important to them, how we dress at church. Well, I, I don't have to. You don't have to do anything. But you can be thoughtful. You can be considerate. You can, you can defer for uh, church's sake and some older people's sake, or maybe just for the sake of, of other people who have a problem with it. And maybe if you just try to honor God yourself, you might find yourself at a, a higher standard anyway. That's just so ambiguous. Hey, man, do the harder work and figure it out. Be a thoughtful Christian. Love people enough to, to not make things all about you. That's what the four things are about. I'm trying to figure it out. It's just these are things that, that would hurt them and offend others. Galatians 5. And I'll finish there. Have I ever said that we're going to change the official anytime Eastland Baptist Church at 12 o'clock? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to read this text and we'll be done. Okay, before you do that, can everybody look up here for a second? Does everybody hear the spirit of what I'm saying? This is, this is mature Christianity. I get this. I'm not suggesting that the law doesn't have value. I'm saying the law can't save you. And the way you keep it is in the heart. And you keep its intent. Because sometimes the law itself is not going to always tell you what to do, but the Spirit of Christ always will. And we've been set free, and whom the Lord sets free, you're free indeed. But you are free to, to be courteous and thoughtful. And sometimes people do certain things or dress certain ways or don't watch certain things because there's some great wisdom in it. And maybe you ought to explore that before you make some decision just to be free. You with me? There's a balance here. Galatians 
For brethren, you have been called into liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another. So you cannot do those things that you would. But if you led, be led by the spirit, by the heart, by love, by grace, by motivation for these things, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, various simulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before and I have told you in times past that they which do such things should not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not that they violate a law, they just not share God's heart. This is like I told in Sunday schools. This would be like me being married to Terry. Well, me being married to Terry is, is more than just a piece of paper. I made a commitment to her. No matter how forgiving she is, I'm not going to press that. I'm not going to go live crazy. I'm going to live for her. I'm going to love her. But the fruit of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentle, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Liberty defers. Liberty thinks of others first. Liberty requires, look here, you to be stronger. All throughout the book of Romans, the weaker brother is the law keeper. The stronger brother is the person who understands his liberty, but is willing to defer it to the weaker. It's okay for you to be stronger. And if you are, then act like it and defer more. The law may not support, or it may support your conscience, but love has to support all of our conscience. Liberty understands freedom, but uses it for good, not for selfish indulgence. Romans 6.1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 6.14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law but grace. 1 Corinthians 9, but take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. And can I take my word back and read one more text to you? If you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I really will be done here. And I look up here, there's nothing else in my paper. <laughs> no, let's go to Romans 14. I changed my mind. It's a better text for, for this purpose. Let's go to Romans 14. I think this will say it in a way that I have not been able to. Okay, I need to bear down and hear the Word of God. Romans 14. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. Okay. Be considered of people who are not where you're at. Verse 2. For one believeth that he may eat all things, and another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Both. Who art thou to judge us another man's servant? Tis own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth everyone alike. 
let every man be fully persuaded, and I love this phrase, in his own mind. If you can't figure it out for yourself, you know, that, that's where it belongs. But if you figure it out, then you just live out those standards, those rules, that law of love, whatever you want to, and don't impose it upon other people except your family as you raise them. He that regardeth the day regardeth unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day um, regardeth it not. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, and he that giveth thanks, God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth thanks to God. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die to the Lord. Will we live therefore or die? We're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose, and revived that he might be the Lord both to the dead and the living. Now here is heart in his appeal. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let that be sufficient. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then let every one of us give an account to himself to God. Let it be enough that one day, whatever rules they follow, whatever standards they have, whatever's going to happen, however they dress, they're going to stand before God and have to give account for that. That should be highly inspiring to all of us. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge us rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Learn, learn to be deferential out of love. I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, that's your conscience, to him it's unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, with thy dress, with thy standards, with what you watch, don't do it when they come over. That's not in the text. That's my words. Okay, look up here. I'm sorry. I just got to press this. There are people here who have dress standards. That just, I'm just going to start with that because it's so easy. That are higher than yours. And they think this place is sacred. And it, it is. What we do here is sacred. So what are you going to do? Well, I don't, you don't have to do anything. I'm just asking what are you going to do? Is it really hard for you to defer or to be thoughtful? Well, I don't think this bothers a, a, a guy. I don't. What if it does? Is it so hard for you to be thoughtful? Do you get where I'm going with this? See, just do this. Just consider yourself stronger. The stronger brother. Don't make it about right and wrong. And those who think all this, you can think that. God tells you not to. But don't get all offended and worked up when they don't. How about you just show an example that would be inspiring for other people to follow? See, I'm just trying to tell you how to have church. <laughs> I'm, I'm, trying to how, I'm trying to tell you how a diverse group of people can get along. It's by grace. If we press too hard, we're never going to meet everyone's approval here. And the churches that try blow up. Verse 15, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not in charity, you're not loving. 
Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Don't use your liberty to hurt someone else. Let not your good be spoken evil of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, it's not rules, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and proved the men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroyeth not the work of God. And that works both ways. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eateth with offense. If your liberty causes someone else to stumble, it's become an evil. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Can we just stop there? And everyone said amen to that. Amen. Now there's the higher way. Well, I can, you sure can. But why would you? Hast thou faith, liberty? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> and he that doubteth is damned if he eat. If what you're doing violates your conscience, don't do it. If you feel safer doing these things, do them. Just realize they don't save you, but if that makes you feel safe, don't, don't violate your conscience. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatever is not of faith is sin. Let me ask you to stand.